If you have a red Bible, or you have red words in your Bible, this is an exciting part of the the Bible to be uh, attending to these past several weeks. And uh, we're blessed that uh, in just two short verses, we're going to visit two different books and read some red words with each other. Will you stand, please? John fourteen twelve. This is, uh, again, near the time that Jesus is going to be leaving his disciples, and he's trying to prepare them. And there's a bit of a conversation there that Philip started up when he said, Philip uh, said, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us to know about where you're going. And Jesus answered, well, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And then this is just a little bit farther along, and he is reassuring them again when he says, I tell you the truth, verse 12, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Hold with me while I change to a different book. I thought it would be easier. <laughs> Luke twenty four forty nine. Again, he assures them something, and this time it's about the Father. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The word of the Lord. Thank you. This, this morning we'll conclude um, the last in this series that I've been doing on the Holy Spirit. And um, this morning the emphasis is going to be on the impact that we can have as spirit-filled people. Um, maybe this is only true of me. But there have been way too many times in my life when I've done something that was not necessarily a good witness to my faith in Christ. Maybe you can't relate to that. The first, uh, just one particular incident that I'm not real proud of. For the first five or six years uh, that I was in full-time ministry, I served as a youth pastor. As a result, I took teens to uh, camp every summer and worked as a counselor at least for a few years, and then I was the assistant camp director. But this happened when I was a, a counselor. One of the things they did at camp was divide the campers into teams for competitions in different sports. And I think this particular year, team members could choose maybe two different sports they wanted to participate in. One of those sports was volleyball, and for some reason, my volleyball team was made up entirely of girls. I had guys and girls on my team, but my volleyball team was all, all young ladies. And that was actually a pretty good thing, because most of them had played volleyball in school. 
But there was a problem with one of the teams we played. They had this big athletic guy on their team. And if I recall, he was actually a pastor's son on the district. And he was headed to Olivet Nazarene College from Washington State. I don't get that. But anyway, he was headed to Olivet Nazarene College. And he had a uh, football scholarship. My girls could hardly get the ball over the net against this guy. He would block their returns. But in doing so... He would be in the net. You know what I'm talking about? He'd be into the net. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to get into the net. In fact, he, he would land on our side of the court sometimes. And it was just a sand court. There was, But he'd land anyway. And I tend to be competitive at times. And since these uh, competitions were basically self-officiated, we had to call our own infractions. And his counselor wasn't doing anything about it. I decided that I'd try to do something about it. And I'd rotated to the front line. I was standing along the net now. And the next time he went up and got into the net, I decided to give him a push to get him off the net. Problem was that when he came down, I think he landed on my foot and he sprained his ankle. Now I've injured a camper who will be starting football practice in a few weeks. And I also had an unpleasant conversation with his counselor who saw what I did. Nice job, Sid. You just let your competitive juices get the best of you. And left a less than positive impression on all present. And there are probably other circumstances. I did some coaching um, for a high school soccer. and I got carded more than once. Do you know what that means? In soccer, they have yellow cards and red cards. And if, there's an, if a coach says too much... He can get a yellow card. That means basically sit down and shut up. If you get a red card, you're gone. I never got a red card. (laughs) So maybe you can relate in some way. You're thinking, yeah, I've done some things in my life where if I could take them back, I sure would do it. And it might have been very different circumstances than what I told you about. And might may not have even seemed obvious to you at the time, but sometimes when we think we're showing discretion, um, everyone else around us has a different impression. Which brings us to our first point today. God wants our lives to have a positive impact for Him. He wants our lives to have a positive impact for Him. And, and from our scripture today, Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Greater things. Of what... Think about what Jesus did when he walked on the earth. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He made the lame walk. He raised the dead. He opened blind eyes. He cured the incurable. He loosed, he loosed the bound. And he restored the outcast. That was a life that had impact. And Jesus says that anyone who believes in him, who has a personal relationship with him, can do even greater works than these. And we're thinking, what? How can that be possible? Well, 
the key is in the last phrase of John fourteen twelve. Jesus said, you will do even greater things than I have because I am going to the Father. I'm leaving you. That's how the disciples would have taken it. But remember that Jesus told his disciples that unless he left, the Holy Spirit would not come. Well, we know he did leave. We know that the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and that the same Spirit that lived in Jesus now lives in every one of his followers. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, our our other text verse this morning, Jesus begins to give insight into this power of God. He said, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And notice in this passage that this power comes from outside of us. It says, we will be clothed with power from on high. And so, we have have two prevailing philosophies regarding power. And the first is this. Power originates from inside us. Power originates from inside us. That's the most popular view in our culture. It tells us, that we just, if we just will reach deep down inside, we can tap into this power that we all possess, and it's just a matter of knowing how to access, access that power. And we see this preached in self-realiz- by self-realization gurus and in self-help books. This kind of thinking is prevalent in the Secular humanism movement and in the New Age movement. They, you see, we have this unlimited potential to become almost these ascendant beings, even to reach the level of Godhood, if we can only understand how to tap into this hidden reserve of power that's in there somewhere. And when you think about it, the focus is all about me. Now, the less popular view is this. Power originates from outside us. That's the biblical view. The Bible tells us that our power is not really our power. It doesn't come from within us. It comes from on high. The scripture tells us that Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the Spirit. Romans 1.4, and he was shown, speaking of Jesus, to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that is at work in us. That's power. Romans 8.11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living in you. And then in Ephesians 3.16, 
And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. But the power comes from outside us, doesn't it? The Bible tells us that our power is not from within, but from on high. It is only when we look to Jesus and trust in his spirit to have control of our lives that we can experience his supernatural power. So as followers of Christ, we have this power available for us to tap into every day. What then are the implications of this in the life of a believer? It means that when we face temptation, we have this power outside of us, but that now has come to live in us that we can rely on to resist and overcome. Right? Good. Don't ever think, by the way, that because you are filled with the Holy Spirit that you won't be tempted. In truth, when we are followers of Jesus, temptations often come at us harder than it would if we didn't know Christ. Listen, it's Satan's goal to get us to give in to temptation. He wants us to fail. So, when we are tempted, we can either try to deal with the temptation in our own strength and ability, or we can rely on the, on the power of the Holy Spirit living within us to help us be victorious in those moments. And often, when we're going through trials, we try to steal ourselves and take that kind of grin and bear it attitude. My dad used to say that a lot. Grin and bear it. But there's, but there's a tendency when we do that just to steal ourselves and grin and bear it for those trials to overcome us. Sometimes they even crush us. But if we learn to call on the name of the Lord and draw upon His power that's at work within us, He gives us the grace and strength to endure. And that's not always we, what we want to hear, by the way, is it? To endure, we want Him to get us whoop out of there. Right now, right? Because we're not into discomfort. We're not into trials. And listen, we, we talk about the impact. When we endure through the power of the Spirit, it has a tendency to impact non-believers who are aware of the circumstances that we're living with. It's a positive witness to the power of God in our lives. It makes them ask questions like, how can you keep going? Or how can you be so calm? Or how can you be so positive in the middle of something like this? They just don't get it. And there is a difference in the power of the Spirit and the power exerted in our world. Even the, even the disciples were confused about that. About the difference. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, they were thinking about an earthly kingdom. So, they thought that power should be wielded in an earthly way. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus is rejected by a Samaritan village. And James and John wanted, 
James and John wanted to call down fire from heaven on them. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of power you, you, you wield. See, they had a mentality that said, if you resist us, it's off with your head. That's what kings did, right? That's what earthly kings did. You didn't defy them. If you did, whoop. That was their idea of power. What did Peter do when Jesus, uh, when they came to arrest Jesus in the garden? Well, he put, put off, pulled out a sword and he lopped off the ear of the high priest's servant. I always thought that was strange. I think he was a bad shot. I think he probably meant to hit him more here and he just missed and whoop, off comes an ear and Jesus put it right back on. Do you think that would have made a bit of an impression on the people that came to arrest him, wouldn't you? Wait a minute, he just put that guy's ear back on. But after all these events, and 40 days after Jesus ascended to heaven, the disciples were gathered in an upper room and the Holy Spirit came in power. And this was a totally different power. This power from on high, this spiritual power, filled their lives. And the result was a radical change in these guys. Peter is a different person. We see him addressing the, uh, addressing the crowds. To, it's some of the same guys who'd nailed Jesus to the cross. And here's what Peter said. You killed the Son of God and you need to repent. Quite a change from the man who had denied Jesus during his trial because he was afraid for his life. And folks, this is the same kind of change the Holy Spirit can make in our lives today. Um, remember I said I'm kind of using this, uh, the topics from Mark Fuller's book, uh, Consumed. For this series, and he said this when the disciples received the power of the Spirit, they overcame hate with love. They overcame the, the world because of the cross. A symbol of defeat became a symbol of victory. They believed that mercy is stronger than might, that love is stronger than the law, that offering forgiveness is stronger than holding a grudge, that faith is stronger than fear. They had been changed from the inside out. A spiritual power, this power of God, had taken over their lives. And so, that brings us to the next thought. The Holy Spirit gives us power to live victoriously in our Jerusalem. Because that's where we spend most of our time. In Acts Chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus tells those gathered with him, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Then sometime later he said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. To me it's interesting that Jesus told his followers to stay in Jerusalem. Stay home. It's, it's pretty natural, I think, when we've been burdened and under pressure and need to be renewed to want to get away. I, I just want to escape this mess. We, we want a change of scenery and time, time to clear our heads. But clearly, Jesus tells his disciples, no, stay right where you are. 
He told them to stay right there in this city. That's strange because that's where all the problems were. That was the center of all the trouble, the heartache, the headaches, the tensions, the responsibilities. Don't we need to get away? I think it was an interesting way for Jesus to convey the message that God's power is sufficient in the middle of life's greatest challenges. Just stay where you're at. And that's where we need to live. See, when the world around us sees that in the midst of our trials and stresses that we have peace, we have joy, we have victory, they're going to say, how do you do that? I want whatever it is that you've got. And that's our opportunity, isn't it? The power of the Spirit is power not just to live victoriously, but also the power to witness effectively. The disciples were afraid. Jesus was gone. They were hiding behind closed doors. The only thing that could get them out from behind those doors and into the streets was the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the world is a scary place. Let's be honest about it. It's a scary place. Just turn on the news. I mean, you'll see all kinds of stuff that can cause fear. And what happens sometimes is that in fear we can become content in our own, in our secure little safe house of Christian friends. Uh, this is where I want to be and don't ask me to. But that's fear driving us. We need the Holy Spirit to boot us out from behind those doors into a lost and hurting world. That's where the mission is and that's where the joy is. And we can, we can get imprisoned behind the doors of compromise. There's this idea among some Christians that to win the world we need to be more like the world. The only difference then that they see is that we show up at church on most Sundays and we sing music that has different lyrics. But the way we live the rest of the time is no different than the way they live. And if you've read some of the statistics about things like divorce, you'll find that that's true. But if we choose to die to self-centeredness and give the Holy Spirit control in our lives, instead of being about us, it becomes all about Him. That's what made the New Testament church so powerful and effective. They literally changed their world in one generation. They discovered that God's power can embolden the most fearful disciple. See, so many Christians in the world today are fearful of being bold for Christ. And I know the atmosphere in our country is changing. You could probably safely say it's not getting any easier. But living the spirit-filled life is about God igniting a passion in us that will not fade. And when there is a passion in believers, look at what can happen. At Pentecost, 120 people walked out from behind closed doors 
in the power of the Holy Spirit, and about 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus as Savior in one day. Yeah, that's good stuff. Jesus said, greater works than I have done, you will do. Never in Jesus' ministry did we see 3,000 people come to God at one time. This is an example of God doing greater things through his spirit-filled people. Listen, when Jesus came, I know he was fully God and fully man, but he limited himself to the package of human flesh. He could not be omnipresent at that point. He was in one place at one time. But if you've got 120 or 120,000 or 120 million believers spread out across the planet filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can see how greater things would be done, can't you? The Spirit-filled life is about God using you to bring people to Him. That's ultimately the purpose of God's power in us, to bring people to Him. But, but hey, not everybody gets it. Which brings us to our next thought. We must be careful that we do not try to manipulate God's power. And we see an example of this in Acts chapter 8, verses 18 through 21. It says this, When Simon saw the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon was a sorcerer who was known locally as the great power. He was a big man on campus. People were amazed at the magic he could do through the use of the occult. When Philip came to town and preached the gospel, Simon opened his heart and accepted Jesus. But he still had an infatuation with all the signs and wonders he had been able to perform through demonic powers. So when Peter and John showed up to lay hands on the believers so that they might be filled with the Holy Spirit, Simon saw that as a new trick he could use to impress people. He still had this desire for notoriety and attention that the the ability to do the amazing would bring him. Well, we see Peter's response to Simon's request in verse 20. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Simon's heart was wrong, and so his motivation, desiring the power of the Holy Spirit, was wrong. His motivation was for personal gain. How can I get this power so people will be impressed with what I can do? (laughs) I have to tell you, I think I see that happening. I'll let you guess what I might be talking about. But they're on television sometimes. Simon's heart was wrong, and so his motivation for desiring the power of the Holy Spirit was wrong. His motivation was for personal gain. 
you know, mansions and Learjets and things like that. He wanted to manipulate the power of the Spirit for his own ends. But God's power flows from his heart to the surrendered and broken heart of the believer. To anyone who tries to pervert and misuse it, Peter says, you have no part in this ministry. And we do tend sometimes to think of power with a human mindset from a cultural perspective. We believe that if we're going to be powerful, we have to look powerful. Maybe that's why there's mansions and Learjets, I'm not sure. But that's not the way of God's power, is it? In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing powers from God and not from us. He put it in pretty plain packages like this one. Those jars of clay, that's us. They're clay because they're, there's nothing about a clay pot, nothing deserving of any special honor. In fact, there's another place in Scripture where God says, yeah, you're, you're dust. You're dust. Dust is, there's nothing cool about dust. So that reminds us then that, and this is our next thought, the place of power is in our weakness. God is telling us that he does his best work when we are at our weakest, when we feel least qualified. Paul himself spoke from personal experience. In in 2 Corinthians 12, he talks of his thorn in the flesh, a a messenger from Satan that troubled him. He asked God three times to take it away, but God allowed it to remain so that Paul would not become conceited, it says. And you, you might see why. Paul had a pretty impressive resume. He had great influence and earthly power that he could have leveraged, but there was this problem that would not go away. What did he learn from this? He learned that God's power was sufficient for him to go on living and have successful ministry despite his problem. Why? Because he had to depend on God. He had to learn to live in dependence on God's power. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. It shows through. For Christ followers, there will be times when we realize that we are absolutely overwhelmed and inadequate. It's at times like this that we remember God's power works. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in us. When we are weak, then we are strong because His power is made perfect and revealed most clearly in those times in our lives. When we can't, God can. And so God wants to make an impact, a godly impact, a righteous impact, a holy impact, a positive impact through your life and mine. And it's my prayer that we will all experience the the presence and power of the Holy Spirit every day. Don't try to live the Christian life without Him. As you practice His presence and daily release control of your life to Him, you will discover the joy 
and fulfillment of being led by the Holy Spirit. And as you do, the world will witness the power of a Spirit-filled life, and that draws people to Jesus. Amen? Let's take a moment for prayer, shall we? Father, I I think of that statement that um, was made in the book Forgotten God. That a lot of people are more afraid of the Holy Spirit than the enemy of our souls because they're afraid of what the Holy Spirit will ask them to do if he fills up their lives. And that's based on a lie. Because if the Holy Spirit asks us to do something and we do it, that will be the most fulfilling place we can live. And if the Holy Spirit tells us to do something and we do it, we know that the Holy Spirit will be with us. But we, we can't do any of this unless we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't make a positive impact for Jesus in our world unless we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't live victoriously. We can't have effective witness unless we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We, do, we cannot do it on our own. though. Until the Spirit fills us and cleanses us, the wrong person's in charge. Holy Spirit, we need you. Holy Spirit, rain down. And just in some moments here of quietness this morning, as you open your hearts, as you consider what God has said to you today, if you need to invite the Holy Spirit to come and do that cleansing, filling work in you, then this would be, in these moments, an opportunity for you to do that. You could come to the altar and pray if you, if you felt led to do that. If, if you need the refreshing of the Holy Spirit. And we, li- we do live in kind of a grimy, dirty, scary world at times. It kind of rubs off on us and we, we just get weary and we need that refreshing and renewal. And if you feel like you need that touch in your lives this morning, then in these moments of quietness, I would ask you, to invite the Holy Spirit to come and refresh. And if there's things that need to be cleaned up there, to do that. Because we do want to be effective instruments that God can use for His honor and glory and to fulfill His mission in our world. And we can't do that in our own strength. There is no way. So just in the quietness of these moments, I would ask you to open your hearts to God and, and pray as His Holy Spirit leads you to do.
Father, there's not a person in this room There's not a person in this room that you do not want to use in some way for your honor and glory and whose lives you want the fullness of your spirit to dwell. Father, I, I, I just think about the impact that we can have. And we, we're desiring that. We, 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 at least we, we give lip service to that. We desire that. We, we want to have a godly impact in our community. We want to see lives transformed. We want to see people come to Jesus. We want to, we want to see people filled with the Spirit and their hearts cleansed and, and, and be sanctified from bottom to top and top to bottom. We want people engaging in ministry. We want the church of Jesus Christ to grow and the kingdom to grow and to come into people's hearts and lives. But it all comes back to the fullness of your Holy Spirit in us as individuals and then us corporately as a church body. And where your spirit is full and active, great things will happen. And Lord God, oh, we desire great things to happen through the church that is the Longmont Church of the Nazarene, the people that are are the church of the Longmont Church of the Nazarene. Do your work in our hearts and lives, we pray. So that we will have that godly impact like those disciples. It, what, what a huge turnaround. What an incredible change. These, these guys who denied Jesus and run away and Abandoned him and some went back to the old fishing occupation. And, but then your Holy Spirit came and they were radically changed. And we, we need that in our lives and we want to see that in the lives of others. We need to see it in our world. We need to see it in our country. We need radical change. It's through the power of your Holy Spirit. Use us, God, we pray. Fill us up and use us for the honor and glory of Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.